Hello and welcome to the Becca's Music Room podcast. My name is Becca and I am an elementary music teacher who loves to share all of the things with all of you. In this podcast, you will get tips, tricks, ideas, lesson plans, and much, much more that you can take directly to your classroom. My goal is for everything to be as simple and easy as possible so that I can take some of the stress out of your life and help you have the best music teaching year ever. So if you are excited for all of the things, then grab a cup of coffee and let's get to it. Well, hello everyone. We are here with Carissa Duncanson and she is going to tell us all of the fun things about teaching online, if there are any fun things about teaching online. And yeah, so I'm really excited to have you here today. I love watching your stories. You have just like such fun lessons. That's why I, that's why I asked you on here because I just always, every time I'm like, that's such a good idea. So welcome, Carissa. Thank you so much for having me, Becca. I'm really excited to be here and kind of just talk about what we love and what we do and let other people kind of join the conversation. So thank you for hosting and having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, So first off, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, what you're into, um, how long you've been at your school, like that kind of stuff? My name is Carissa Duncanson. I go by the pronouns she, her, and hers. I am a Black 29-year-old woman. So I think it's important for me to speak to my identity because when people don't when people hear me, they don't always see me. So I think that's important for me to, to say. I um, teach right outside of Detroit. Well, I taught right outside of Detroit for my first six years of teaching in uh, Dearborn, so Southeast Michigan. It was a wonderful experience for my first six years. I taught a population of students who did not speak English as their first language. So there were a lot of challenges there with teaching and learning the culture and language of my students. Um, But with those challenges came a lot of growth and learning for me and kind of shaped why and how I teach the way I teach today. Um, A lot of play-based, a lot of movement, less talking because talking is just words. And if students can't understand your words, what are you doing? So um, a lot of what I do is uh, student-led and um, play-based because of my foundation, my first job teaching in uh, Dearborn. But however, this summer I um, switched over to Detroit Public Schools. So I now teach um, on the east side of Detroit and um, a different uh, student demographic. So I teach mostly black students and right inside of Detroit. My first six years I taught pre-K through fifth and in Detroit I teach K through eighth. So I have a new challenge of middle schoolers. And honestly, I thought it was going to be a challenge. And it has been the greatest gift ever. I absolutely enjoy my middle schoolers and don't know why I was so intimidated and scared because they are everything. So um, I'm really enjoying teaching sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. Well, that's really interesting. Um, for your previous position, what was the main language that your students spoke? They spoke mostly Arabic. Okay. Yeah. So um, learning their names was like one of the first tasks that I tried to tackle. Um, and learning their names correctly and um, their names were so closely tied to their culture and their language that um, it really did help me learn their language. And obviously, I gained respect from my students, colleagues, and parents 
by saying names correctly, taking the time to really learn how to properly address my children. And then, of course, commands came next, like, come here, be quiet, <laughs> um, uh, slow down. Like those, those were words that I learned very, very quickly. Um, and then one of my first, uh, first or second years, I had um, a group of second graders that loved to teach me a new Arabic word every music class. So they would teach me like household things like milk and apple and like just things that, that they use every day. Um, they were so excited to teach me an Arabic word every, every, every week they came to music. So that was really special for me too. Yeah. And them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I they loved being the teacher. Yeah. I am like, a language nerd. That's one of the reasons I like singing is because we get to sing in like all the different languages and I like really geek out about it. So I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> it really, it was really, it really changed me. It really made me become a learner again, even though I was like, I'm a teacher now, but no, you're not. Yes. Yes, I am. But I, I really was in this mindset of I am going to be learning. And I think that's something that I'll keep with me until I retire. Like we are always changing and learning and growing and there's always room for growth. And um, no matter how experienced you are or how long you've been teaching, there's always, always room to learn something new. Yeah, totally agree. Um, So have you found like Arabic songs and like things that you've been able to pull into music class? Absolutely. Dearborn, Michigan is one of the biggest Arabic and Muslim populations in the United States. And it's been that way for years. There's there's different types of people of Arabic descent, right? There's Lebanese, there's Yemenis, there's Iraqis, there's all different types. And that doesn't mean that they're all the same, just like we wouldn't say all African um all African countries are the same. They're so, so different, speak so many different dialects and languages and so and have different customs and cultures. However, because there is such a big Arabic population in Dearborn, um, I had access from other teachers who had taught there for their whole career and um, parents and community members that had already established kind of some resources for music teachers. So I was able to pull some, I learned from my like mentor teacher, a Lebanese folk song, and I was able to sing it with my students. And some of them knew it from their, their grandparents or parents, and some of them didn't, but they knew the Arabic words. And then um, I um, also, the, the Arab orchestra, the national Arab orchestra um, started in Dearborn, Michigan. And so I, was able to actually right before COVID hit, have my school choir, my third, fourth and fifth grade choir um, perform with the National Arab Orchestra. And we sang um, a, a a pop song of, of a famous um, singer. Her name's Farouz. Um, we sang one of her pieces with the, the Arab Orchestra and my kids just, I was overwhelmed because it was just so special, but um, I know that my parents, the parents of my students and then my students themselves felt seen and felt um, valued in their culture. I had a lot of resources because of where, because of what Dearborn is and because of the um, history of Dearborn and the um, the long tie of the Arabic community being invested in, in that region. Yeah, I absolutely pulled as much song and um, and folklore and um, obviously music 
to help my students feel like they belonged and feel like they they had a place in the music room and in the music world, which was not part of my background at all in college or or before that. I knew I knew nothing of. I maybe knew there was an Arabic language. I mean, that was seriously the. That's all I had. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's really interesting. My dad actually was an Arabic translator in the army when I was oh very itty bitty. So that's just makes it like cool. So he, yeah. Um, yeah, so he was like in Egypt often. Um, now he hasn't used it for a long time because we live in Georgia, really, which is probably why I'm just like really into all of the languages and all the things. But that's yeah. just so cool, and I love how they got to sing with the orchestra, like. That's amazing in any, for anybody, for any culture, but especially that they got to, you know, sing like a popular song in their culture and just, ah, so awesome. And I would recommend that your listeners go, go search and look, um, look up the National Arab Orchestra. They are um, amazing. Um, Michael Ibrahim is the conductor and he's an, he's an amazing musician. He plays so many different instruments and he has been doing a lot of hard work at kind of connecting building bridges and like connecting different people together through music. And um, I really appreciate his vision. And I'm obviously, I was so honored that he asked my kids to come sing and they sang their little hearts out. And um, we had, and it was literally like we had another um, performance coming up in March and that got canceled, but we had performed in February with them. So we had just made it, you know, we had just, we left on a high in a way, you know. That's really nice. Um, And just really cool all around. And so your current position in this super fun school year, what are you (laughs) currently doing? So I am 100% virtual in Dearborn. So before I switched districts, we were virtual until the school year in June. I switched schools and then I ended up um, being still virtual in Detroit. And I have been since we started after Labor Day, technically, but um, we have been 100%. I have been 100% virtual. My, my building was kind of a half-half situation. So like some of my children whose parents opted to have them come in person would come into school with their device and then like zoom into class. So even though they were in person and I say that with quotes, Mm -hmm. they, everything was virtual. All of their classes were virtual K through eighth. So even the littles, um, they would click on the link to go to music class or they'd click on the link to go to gym or um, have their lesson, their reading lesson with their teacher. So the the people who were in the building were like aides or paraprofessionals or administration that were kind of like mo- like monitoring the learning experience, which I have many things to say about that, but it it, it wasn't it wasn't truly in person learning, even okay. though the parents had opted for that. Mm-hmm. Um, devices are were still the core. What were the tether, I guess, you know, between learning and necessary. So we've had a similar um, thing um, for our school. We only had two classes of kids in the building. It was like, you know, one class came on two days and the other class came the other two days. So we had a similar, like they were still with the teacher they've been virtual with all year, but they would go to the building 
twice. And then um, there was a teacher and a parrot in that room that would help them and stuff. But still, like they would put um, the Zoom link for music on like the big screen. And <laughs> I, I can like kind of see them all through the little, you know, the teeny tiny little square, like all of the kids dancing along and stuff. I'm like, all right, while you're doing it. So, yeah. um, so we're going to have more kids in the building in January. So you're doing live classes? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not Zoom. We're using Microsoft. Um, however, yeah. Um, but I will say this. We, I know. I, I will say in, I can't recall if it was like after Halloween or I think it was right after Halloween, all of our schools shut down because our infection rate was too high in the city of Detroit. So, so since Halloween-ish, let's say I can't remember because I don't even know. <laughs> like, did Christmas happen? Okay. Um, time is so confusing. But we have been all virtual for quite a while. And we have quarters in my district. So we have finished quarter one. We're in the middle of quarter two right now. And quarter two ends, like, I think end of January, mid-January. So we're planning to start virtual well, the 14th is when they're going to make a decision, the 14th of January. So like a week, a week or so after we come back, mm-hmm. my speculation, my guess is that I will be, it'll be choice again, um, depending on how high the infection rate is. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling it's going to be high because of the holidays. So, um, but I have a guess that it will be, will be virtual almost the entire rest of the school year. Unfortunately, um, But in the same breath, um, this virus has drastically affected the community that I teach and the community that I live in. Um, uh, And so, um, yes, it's affected jobs, but it's affected literal lives. And and so um, I have a feeling we're not going to be in person. So until until this vaccine is kind of divvied out, which again is gonna be a whole whole thing. So and I have no idea how it's gonna happen. So and as you know, we have a lot of changes coming in January. We have a new presidency happening. We have a lot of big changes that could affect how this um vaccine is distributed or how it's, you know, so I don't know, <laughs> but I know I'm not alone in that. So we, yeah, we're all in that same boat of like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm really trying not to stress personally because I have been at my house all year and I'm going back to the building in January. Okay. Um, and we have, like, I told you, we had two classes, and so we're going to have, like, more kids in the building, but I haven't been told anything about, like, schedule. I'm just gonna, yeah. If I'm teaching the in-person kids or the online kids are both at the same time or both at di- I have no idea. So I have, like, I have no lesson plans written, which is really stressing me out. Yeah. I'm like, it's going to be fine. I know, like, what I want to teach, but I just don't know, like, how because I don't know anything, really. Right. There's so much unknown. But- I will say, so I've, I've had a combination. I've had kids like at school coming into me and then kids at home. Um, and I, speaking of schedule too, I, um, 
my building didn't change the schedule. So whatever I would have taught in person, like normal pre-COVID is how I'm teaching is the same schedule that I'm teaching um, virtually. So I teach 50, 5, 0, 50 minute classes. All, all of my students um, see me twice a week for 50 minutes. So I have a full schedule. Yeah. Yep. It's a long time. So I've, um, it's very stressful. Uh, and at first I was like, what the hell am I going to do with these kids for 50 minutes through a screen? Um, and over time it's kind of morphed and changed, but for my littles for K one, two, I do almost the same thing every single class. So that doesn't mean I read the same book every class, but I, we always do a story. We are, we always start with, I always start with mindfulness. So we, we start with, um, being kind to our minds and being kind to each other's minds. And I do a meditative, um, opening and we, then we sing a hello song and I bring out, we do like, we have order. Um, and that's been something that I've really clung to because I know that some of my students live with other families. Some of my students live in their car. Some of my students, um, don't have order or don't have structure. So like if I can be structured for them, the two times that they see me, even if it's through a screen, that's going to give them some type of relief and some type of release and some, some sense of normalcy. So I've really tried to establish um, like our music schedule. And for my K-1-2s, we always rest. So I do about five minutes where I sing a lullaby and they have a choice. They can sing with me or they can put their head down and close their eyes. I, we put our puppet, we have a class puppet, we put him to sleep. And so they, they can choose if they want to go to sleep too, and they can rest their eyes. And then we, then I slowly wake them up and then we do movement or something afterwards. But, um, uh, that's been something that they just need. And I mean, look, they're, they're, they're required to be on their screens. They have about, I think four classes a day. So they have like blocks with their classroom teachers so like one block in the morning one afternoon and then depending on their schedule they may have one special or two specials a day so they're really they're on their computers a very long time and so that's why I'm like if you want to close your eyes close your eyes you can rest your eyes um and just being like really open to um to what they need um, I also, I spend a lot of time um, asking them how they want to do it. Like, okay, how do you want to sing the whole song? How, how could we do it now? Could we, let's do it jumping. Let's do it laying down. Let, my kindergartners are obsessed with pushups. I don't know why. One of my little girls, like, I don't know if she has like somebody in her life that wants her to do pushups, but she is just, let's sing it and do pushups. All right, girl, let's go. Like, I guess we're doing pushups for our hello song. Um, but like I, as many opportunities I can give them to be the leader and to make those choices, I'm trying to give them because right now they don't have, they have lost so much choice, right? They, they don't have access to, to make decisions when they're cramped in their home or when they're cramped in their car, wherever they are. So yeah. And then I, I, I'm not going to lie. It is harder to figure out what to do with your older kids, especially when they don't like moving is like, mm, I'm too cool for that. Like I'm old. Um, they, that's been a challenge for me and as a new teacher, right? They don't know me. Yes. They don't know me. They're like, who's this crazy lady wanting to jump around? Like, 
she's crazy. So I've had to slowly like, um, step away from curricular stuff. I've had to just have build, build relationships and conversations. And, um, I've done some projects that have, that, that have helped me kind of get to know them a little bit better and build those relationships. So TikTok has really helped me expand my toolbox, if you will, because I have learned from Gen X teachers who are starting their first year of teaching, which is like, what? But there are, you know, new teachers who have amazing ideas that our kids are in, especially my middle schoolers, they're in that same generation as those first year teachers. And um, it's really helped me kind of pull in my eighth graders, my 13 and 14 year olds who are too cool for me. I've like really kind of tried to not be like, oh, that's because I'm the oldest sibling too. I'm like, well, I have one older sister, but like all of my siblings are younger. And I'm like, oh, that's for my, you know, I do the, the big sister thing. Like that's for the younger. Oh, that's not for me. That's my sibling stuff. But I've been trying to be more open to um, different types of social media that I would be like, oh, I'm too old for that to kind of help reach my kids. Um, and again, it's stretching my mind to be like, hey, you're never too, oh, you, you never stop learning and growing. Like why limit yourself when you can use this, whatever it is, type of social media platform, whatever it is to connect with your kids. And then you can make meaningful music, right? So. Yeah, that's really good. Especially I would imagine it's extra hard doing this as a new to the school teacher. Um, Cause you know, I've known my kids for a long time. So even I don't get that much resistance in the classroom for most of the stuff that we do, but because the kids are at home, things that would be normal in the classroom are super weird for like yeah. fourth graders and fourth graders. So I've had to also be very chill. About, like sometimes we'll do our movement activities sitting down because they don't want to get up. And I'm like, okay, whatever, lay in your bed. Like just as long as you're, you know, paying attention. I- Participation looks so different, right? And being, I think it's really important. I, I don't know. My administration has been really, um, it, uh, they have a lot of expectations for participation. And honestly, I don't think it's fair because if their device is broken or their internet is crap, like obviously their, their um, camera, they could say that they turn it on, but if the, if they don't have enough um, internet, like it's not going to work for them or they are embarrassed or intimidated by showing their classroom, their home space. Like, so participation could look like typing in the chat. Participation could look like messaging you separately. Participation could be reaching out via email. I'm so proud when I get kids that email me. I'm like, oh my God, look at this life skill. Like, I'm so proud of you. Like, so they are participating in ways that might not seem like, oh, that's not what I expect for participation. But I think we as the teachers need to be, and administrators, need to be open to, um, and a little bit more flexible with our idea of participation because not all of, not all of our kids, um, they're not, they're not in our space anymore. We're in theirs. And it's totally different. Totally, totally different. Yeah. Again, things that are totally normal 
in my classroom are very not normal at their house. At home, yeah. Totally different. So, which I understand because it feels different to me to be absolutely at my house with my dogs barking and like all that kind of stuff. And sometimes my internet goes out and just, yeah. Mm -hmm. So one thing I think this whole year has taught us is just like to remember that kids are humans. And I've just heard a lot of comments recently that make it seem like people are, you know, finally realizing that students are humans and it just has really like because you see their house and you see you know sometimes they bring their cats to class and make their cats do the movements which is great as long as the cat doesn't attack them um and, you know it's been very humanizing I feel like throughout the whole process absolutely I um something that I've enjoyed is the window into like um oh. It's been a challenge too, because sometimes I see things that I'm like, wow, I probably shouldn't have seen that from parents and just certain things like I'm like, wow, well, I don't know if they meant to to be in the screen there, but okay. Um, But with that also has come some really special moments. Um, The last day before break, I was teaching first grade and I had a mom come on and she goes, hey, I just wanted to let you know um, you have an admirer and he just kicks and kicks and kicks whenever whenever he hears um, her daughter in, in music class. He just, he's kicking around. And I don't know why, it's just your voice. Anytime he she's in music class, he just starts kicking. And I was like, oh, how old is he? Is he two months, five months, whatever? She's like, oh, he still has five more weeks to go. So he was in her, he's in her belly. And I like started crying. I was like, oh my God, how special. And like, that's something that would never happen. Right. And, um, in before COVID. So that really, that was a really sweet gift that that mom shared with me and just made me realize there are some moments of, of joy and okayness, um, in amidst all of this, we're able, we're able to connect with parents in a way that we normally wouldn't and they're they get a little window of like what music class is versus like oh I forgot you had music like you know or like oh yeah you had gym this week or you know certain things like that now they're they're some parents are able to be part of the learning experience and um that's a huge advocacy tool right like before parents had no idea they think we sit and sing um so which sometimes we do, but we also do a lot more. So that's been something that I will try and cling to when I get really upset or feel very frustrated with all of this. There have been moments of of joy and um, I just humanness, right? Uh, we feel so, I, what is the opposite of connected? Disconnected. We feel so disconnected even though I've never been on my computer and phone so much in my life. My screen time is embarrassing, but I, I, I do feel disconnected, even though I've been zooming like crazy and FaceTiming and Facebook calling or whatever it is, you know, I, but I feel I have such a need for that human connection. And that those, those moments where we're like, Oh, yeah, that's why we're alive. <laughs> so clinging on to those that happen virtually um, has been helpful for me as someone who's been only virtual since March. Same. Um, and yes, completely agree. Just all those little moments, if you, I, I always try to like kind of capture them and cling to them when things are hard, which is 
often right now. Hopefully, hopefully things will get a little bit less weird. Yeah. So um, what have been some of your like favorite lessons to do? So for my, for my younger ones, I really do keep my classes very similar to what I would do um, in, in person. Um, the only difference is I use um, either slides, Google slides to present with so kids can see what we're like doing. So if we're doing a movement activity, I will literally have my schedule card, like a visual card, cue card that says movement so they can see the visual um, that that's what we're moving on to. Um, and for stories, I try to um, digitize all of my stories, even though I'm such an advocate for just like an actual book because of our situation. Um, I want them to see the story. I want them to see the words. I want them to see the illustrations. So I have been um, projecting or uh, sharing my screen so that they can see the story. But for my older students, I've really been, like I said, trying to be creative and find like different activities that are out there for for them. So I've used, um, thanks to Instagram and TikTok, I found a game that I found from a, a teacher named Miss Duenas, Duenas, I'm sorry, Duenas. Um, and her uh, Instagram handle is um, teaching musica, teaching musica, musica. Um, and she and her sister, I guess, is also a teacher, came up with a game called Bopper Flop. And so it's like an interactive game where um, if you use, um, you can use Pear Deck. There are some other you could use Google Slides too, honestly, but you can play some songs and have students move their little character um, from the bop side, like it's a bop, it's a it's fire, or to flop, like this song is not it type of thing. So kind of, and that helps you learn your students and um, kind of know what they like and dislike. Um, and then also I have been um, with my older students, just like exploring some of the, um, websites and applications that are out there for free. So we've, we've done Incredibox, which is like so fun. It's, I did a lesson on, um, ostinatos. And so then we used Incredibox to create our own ostinato patterns and songs, and then using, um, music Chrome lab, Google's Chrome. Chrome Yeah. Chrome music lab. Thank you. Getting all the words out of order. And then kind of going, having my students explore and then talking, we talk a lot. We just spend a lot of time talking. Like, what is your, what did you like about that? What don't you like? I would though, with my older students, I would like to do some more meaningful historical stuff. So I'm thinking for Black History Month, we may do some digging into Black musicians. Um, I'm not really sure how I'm going to do it yet. Um, But potentially um, using either Drive or um, Google Slides and kind of creating like a presentation on certain musicians. I may have it be like a group a group um, project or individual. My students like to work together and that's how they know that my school is a K through eight building. So it's not like the middle school is separate. So my eighth graders have known each other for forever so even though I'm new to them they're not new to each other and they're not their other teachers are not new to them so I've been um trying to like pull from 
that background and, and okay, you guys like to work together. All right. So maybe let's do this project as a group. Um, so I don't know, thinking, I'm, I'm thinking that that's what I'll do with my older kids. We've talked a lot about music parodies and, um, song parodies, like that were famous, I don't know, in the sixties. And then somebody took, you know, an ostinato. And so we've done parody hunts and like looked online. They found, um, I did a story about Carlos Santana, um, this fall and they were like, Oh, that's a Rihanna song. Um, one of his songs are like, well, actually it's not a Rihanna song. She took that, that little phrase and played, played it over or under rather one of her songs. And so we talked a lot about that and how that happens all the time in music. And, um, so it's been, these are things too, that you could do with fifth graders, but like with older students, they really know how to like search the internet and they really know how to, it's just, it, they have the skill sets already that, um, fifth graders really established. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, and that's been something new for me too, cause I'm not used to having students with those types of skills. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's been fun too. And they've been so gracious to me to like, Hey guys, we're going to try this out. <laughs> like, okay, here she goes. But they've been really gracious. And, um, I don't know, middle school is my new, is the new, well, I don't know, the new pink, the new black, the new, the new thing. I love middle school. I, I highly recommend that everyone, um, kind of drops their ideas of middle school. Cause I definitely had some, um, but I've, I've really in, enjoyed them. So that's really awesome. Yeah. Cause I hear, I'm sure you, what you were thinking people are always like, Oh, I don't know what to do with middle schoolers and all of those kind of things. <laughs> um, They're amazing. What are some of your favorite stories to use like books and books? Oh my God. I love well, books. I have a bajillion. I love any story that has some type of repeated refrain or repeated like something. Um, I love teaching form. So I will, I usually just create a melody or a chant or something for one of the sections and then, and then um, can teach AB form. Do the kids do that? Whatever the repeated section is with Yeah. Yeah. So, um, one of the books that I, I'm trying to, my, my home classroom is a mess right now, but I love um, Hair Love. It was a book written by uh, the, the illustrator is Vashti Harrison and Matthew Cherry. And I love speaking his name because not only is he an author, but he played football. Like he played oh. in NFL. Yeah. Yeah. And he also writes for Blackish. He's an, um, an amazing person. So yeah. So he's somebody, um, who my students can see and say, wow, you can, you can be many things. Yeah, you can. (laughs) So, um, that's one reason why I like the book, but the story itself is just beautiful. It's affirming for, uh, myself and my students in their black hair identity. And, but I use, I teach a, um, a nursery rhyme with the story. So there's uh, an old nursery rhyme, an English nursery nursery rhyme um, 
Queen Queen Caroline. <laughs> I literally, as you said that, I was like, we could so use that book with Queen Queen Caroline. <laughs> yes. So I changed the words. I so the original uh, nursery rhyme is Queen Queen Caroline washed her hair with turpentine. Turpentine oh. made it shine. Queen 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 Caroline. Caroline. Yeah. So I changed it to, and I teach them the the original nursery rhyme, and we talk about where it's from. And then they ask about turpentine. I'm like, I don't really know, but I think, I think that it helped get bugs out. And it was just, I don't, I don't know, but I wouldn't recommend putting it in your hair. Um, And and we talk about how long ago um, Queen Caroline and what, you know, how that's not what we do now. We have shampoo and we have other things to clean our hair and take care of our hair. But um, I changed it to Queen, Queen Caroline. Washed your hair in turpentine. Princess Zuri detangles her curlies. Oh, so the little girl's name is Zuri. So, and Curly and Zuri. And we, so I have my littles find their rhyming words. Um, we usually, with kindergarten, I really focus on the last two rhymes. So Curly and Zuri, Zuri and Curly. Um, but second graders can find turpentine and Caroline. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, and then I have kids go and find something that they use with their hair. And my, I have, that's not really, um, hair isn't really gendered in the black community. I mean, it kind of is, but like everyone takes care of their hair. Like, and um, boys have braids, boys have long hair. Um, so I don't really get much kid, like, I don't want to use a brush, you know, type of thing. Um, so, but like, And if I, if I have, and I have had kids say that, um, those types of things to me, I said, well, go get something that your mom would use or go get something that somebody in your family would use on their hair. They all have something like that. So then we come back and we play, um, with the found sounds, the things that they found on the rhyming words. So queen, queen, Caroline, wash your hair in turpentine, princess Zuri detangles her curlies. So we would play whatever we found on the, um, on the rhyming words. So, and then I just do the, I do the, uh, the little nursery rhyme every couple of pages I read, you know, I don't know. It's not, I don't necessarily do it every other page, but depending on time and depending if they're, <laughs> listen, if they're dragging, we do not do it over. You know, we, yeah, we do the story. That's just an example of something that I, I do, I would look for. Um, if, if there isn't in the book, if there isn't something that is repeated, mm-hmm. what can I bring in to teach a musical concept? And then it goes deeper than that, right? So there was turpentine, that's a three, three sound, three syllable. And then Zuri is two. And then we can talk about rhythm and we can pull those out. Um, and then I can't, now I can teach form because here's our nursery rhyme. And then here's the story, A, B, A, B. Um, so kind of, I, that's, that's what I do when, I have so many books. I, I really get, I really should stop buying them, but I, I just, I aimlessly go in without a concept in my mind. Mm-hmm. I kind of just go in and if, if a book or a story speaks to me, I will take it and have no idea what music concept I'm going to teach with it, but kind of let it sit with me. And then over time, Oh, oh I, what, what could I do with this book? And sometimes I change. Sometimes I don't, keep the same nursery rhyme or poem or little melody that I created. I will say this though, with some of the songs that I create 
with a book that has a little repeated phrase, I try and just jot it down or I use note flight and just try and notate it. And then I print that out and um, tape it to the inside of the book because I forget. So I will put it in the back. And then when I show my kids the book, I'm like, look at in music by. <laughs> Whoa, that's you. I'm like, I know, right? Whoa. So they, they can see that it's actually notated too. Again, it's really for me. It's not. Yeah. Because I forget. And I got that trick from my mentor teacher. She was like, she was all about um, kind of notating and making sure because we have our brains, we forget all of the things. And so um, why, why make things harder on yourself? Like just jot it down and then, oh yeah, boom. Yeah. Cause I've done that where, you know, it's been like a year and then I pull it out and I'm like, how did we sing that? <laughs> Absolutely. And um, whenever I go to like um, workshops or conferences, if, if I'm at a session where they do have a book and they have their notes, I will like cut out their notes and like put it in the, Ooh, in the that's book. A good idea. because I don't know, I don't know about you, but that collecting session notes is one of the hardest things for me to organize. And I, my books are, huh, they're kind of organized, but at least I, if I have the book, then I don't have to like, look, I know I learned this at a workshop, but I don't remember what I did. So I like try to be really proactive. And like, as soon as I have that book, I put like, I cut it and tape it in there so that it's in one spot. So that's, that's really my little tip. Doesn't always happen, but I'm very grateful when it does. And I'm like, Oh yes, I put the notes in there. <laughs> so <laughs> awesome. Um, do you have another book recommend? I know you've um, been a ton, but just what? Yeah, um, yes, I do. Um, a book that some people read around Halloween, but I read it all the time. I usually read it actually in the spring because of rabbits and like bunnies, um, but is Creepy Carrots written by, I have it right here. I know that one. I love this book. Erin Reynolds. Okay, I gotcha. Yep, Creepy Carrots by Erin Reynolds. I teach... Is it John the Rabbit? John the Rabbit. Oh, yes. So John the Rabbit. Oh, yes. So that resting tone there. But what I, I change it to Jasper because the, the rabbit's name in here is Jasper. And um, I do this with my, my fourth graders with recorders. So we practice low E. Okay. And they are constantly, well, I teach them the song and their job is to find the word that is repeated throughout the whole song. And so I sing the song and then they're like, it's oh, yes. I'm like, oh, I wonder, could you sing it to me instead of shouting it at me and so then we sing so then I sing it and they do the oh yeses and then we learn we practice low e you really could do any pitch mm-hmm. wherever but wherever your voice allows or if you have ukuleles you can practice the e string or the a string or whatever you want you could practice because it's a repeated same note over and over so um anyway um that is what I use with um creepy carrots and so it is, the kids love the song and it's, I mean, I don't do it every, again, you could do it every, you could do it every page. I do it every couple of pages and the story is super cute and clever. Basically Jasper is addicted to eating carrots and um, the carrots start following him and no one believes him that the carrots are alive. And his dad's like, boy, you crazy. Mom's like, boy, you crazy. And, um, the carrots are clearly following him 
And so he decides that he's going to build a, a wall around the carrot so they can't come out and scare him and keep following him and creeping creep on him. At the end, the carrots stop, you know, following him because they're 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 fenced in now. But all along, you learn that that was the carrots' plan. They they were trying to keep him out. <laughs> so <laughs> that's creepy carrots. It's really ridiculous. It's, it's it's a cute story, but um, yeah. So that's I teach um, technique, you know, with recorder or just like really hearing that resting tone or that same, same, that same note. Um, and they ask for Jasper rabbit all year long. That's how you know it's good. John, the is it, isn't it John the rabbit? John the rabbit. John the rabbit. This is what happens when I change the names. I'm like, wait, who, how did the original go? I don't even know. But, um, yeah. So that's another really fun. And, and I have older students like requesting that what happened with my fifth graders who were learning ukulele last year, they were like, um, last fall, they, they remembered learning it on recorder and they, I don't even know why I had it out, but they're like, we want to do, we want to do Jasper. And I was like, all right, let's get our ukuleles out and we'll, we'll play it on a string. And so we played, and then they got the technique of playing one, one note repeated. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's how you know it's a good one when they request. Oh, and there, I know. And especially, yeah. um, thank you for giving us like an older kid one. Cause I have a really hard time finding books with my older kids and then figuring out what to do. Like I find them really easy with the little kids, but when they get to like, yeah. like I don't know what to, I don't, I don't know. So thank you. Do you have, I think we have time for one more. This book um, caught my eye. Um, it's called All the World, written by Liz Garten Scanlon and illustrated by Marla Fraze. This book caught my attention because um, just by speculation, which I do a lot of, these children, uh, they look mixed or biracial, and I am a mixed person. And then as the story went on, th- this is what caught my eye. I mean, the illustrations are beautiful. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Um, but the parents um, are of different races. And um, as a child who never saw themselves represented or saw who they came from represented, um, that caught my adult eye. And then um, alongside of the beautiful illustrations and then from my teacher lens, um, it has a lot of rhyming words and you can read it rhythmically. So like rock, stone, pebble, sand, body, shoulder, arm, hand, a moat to dig, a shell to keep. All the world is wide and deep. So all the world is repeats itself throughout the book. So all the world is something, something, and it usually rhymes. Um, so I, the little melody that I wrote goes like this. All right. And I usually do movement with it, but, um, and it's in, um, six, eight, I was trying to find something that wasn't in four, four. So it goes, all the world is here. It is there. All the world is here where you are. And when I sing it to my students, their job is to find me, Ray, Do. So they have to figure out where that is in the song. Um, and I usually sing it in four sections. So I show my fingers and I, all the world is here. It is there. All the world is here where you are. And they have to tell me which section it's in. And then eventually after... So after every phrase, like all the world is blah, 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 blah. Um, 
I um, have them sing it and we do the movement or our hand signs with it. And then we transfer it. So we transfer it to bard instruments. Um, you could transfer it to ukuleles, really. You could find me, Rado, anywhere in any range. Uh, you could do it on recorder. Down, 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 me, Rado. So, um, so it was a it was a combination of finding a not <laughs> four four meter, as well as um, melodic direction and going down to do. So, so that's all the world, and it's so beautiful. Here, I'll, I'll read the last little page because it's just so. Okay. It's literally um, everything. And um, of course, when you go to the back, <laughs> my music is in the back. <laughs> I taped it. Um, but um, yeah, so there's all different types of families. But um, I'll read the last couple pages. Everything you hear, smell, see, all the world is everything. Everything is you and me. And then it has different types of families um, represented. Hope and peace and love and trust. All the world is all of us. And it's a little girl just looking at her hands. And then it. It's just, it's so beautiful. It's like, it ties everything together, like um, nature, family, um, just everything that is worldly and of, um, and kind of talking about how we're all connected and it's all, it's all of us. Mm -hmm. So it's just a beautiful story. Oh, here's the family. You can see that it's um, an interracial uh, yeah. parents and then the children are, are mixed. Really awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Okay, we'll link each of uh, the books that you mentioned in the show notes for people so, and your Instagram, of course, which is music with Miss Dunk. So yeah link all those below. I think we probably need to wrap it up, even though I've enjoyed this so much. <laughs> but thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed talking to you. I feel a little selfish because every time I have a podcast guest, I'm always like, this was so much fun. Um, but I, I love all the ideas. So I'll link everything you talked about below and I will link your Instagram so everyone can come and hang out with you. Awesome. Yeah. So Thank you so much for having me. Have a safe rest of your year and enjoy the new changes that are to come. And hopefully someday we'll be able to see each other in real life. Yes. Real <laughs> people in 3D. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. All right, thank you so much, Becca. Thank you. Thank you.